What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Long Game Podcast hosted by Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore. In each episode, you'll hear us break down financial topics that are relevant to the lives of millennials and other young professionals. Our goal is to help bring credible financial information to you in short, bite-sized episodes. Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore are the co-founders and financial planners at All Street Wealth. All opinions expressed by Thomas and Trayton are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of All Street Wealth. This podcast is for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It should not be considered advice. Please consult with your financial advisor, tax, legal, and any other advisors you have before making any decisions regarding your financial plan. All right. What's up and welcome back everyone to another episode of the Long Game Podcast. Today you are joined by just me. So we're going to try to switch this up a little bit. I actually had a guest that was sick and so we have two recordings next week for future episodes. Um, And so I just kind of thought about, you know, I kind of want to keep things a little different and not have it be stale. So I did a Q&A over on Twitter and Instagram and you get a few questions from followers, uh, just so there's different things that I could answer for them. So I'm going to start trying to do these episodes every month or two months. So if you have any topics that you specifically want us to talk about, even if they're short, you can either message me on Twitter, email me, honestly, message me anywhere, and I'll make sure that we dive into those questions. So let's get going. One of the first questions that I got is how will the recession affect the next two years? So before I get into this, I want everybody to remember that I am speaking through the lens of what my ideal client should be doing or thinking about. And my ideal client is a millennial. So somebody that's late 20s, early 40s, probably has 10 to 30, maybe even 40 years till they want to retire. And so the recession to me only really matters if it affects your income. For a lot of young people, you could be working at tech firms that were rapidly scaling and a recession is a reason that you might be let go. So I think that, you know, as you view a recession right now, you want to look at the safety of your job and everybody probably thinks they're a little bit safer than they are, but what I would what I think you should do is make your finances a little bit more recession proof. So build up an emergency fund 6 to 12 months if you're worried about losing your job, make sure you have the right insurances in place and by doing that you kind of set yourself up for the recession not affecting you much. I mean, if we go back and look at history, the average recession is just a little bit under 2 years and the average bull market is about 6 years. So understanding that your job is to be able to weather a two-year recession. And this is exactly why you should not be investing dollars that need to be used in a very short period of time. So I usually like to use the rule of thumb. If if you're going to need that money within five years, you probably want that to be in cash or I-bonds or something that's pretty safe and liquid. Obviously, I-bonds have a one-year holding period, so you want to be smart and not have that be your emergency fund. But it could be part of the dollars that you're going to use three, four, five years from now. And then money that's five to 10 years away, you can start to invest, but not, you know, 100% equities. And then 10 years and above is when you can really start to uh, take more risk as in have a higher allocation to equities. And if that's the setup that you have, you've built your finances in a way where, you know, the market goes down like it is right now, and you're not required to sell to either fund an emergency, fund a purchase, or any other goal. So to me, if you're a millennial, a recession is more of an opportunity. It's obviously not fun to watch 
the market go down and your portfolio to go down. But what you have to understand is that you're going to be able to buy more shares of whatever ETF, stock, et cetera, you want at a lower price. And because you're not going to need that money for 10, 20, 30 years from now, the name of the game is how can I accumulate as many shares as I possibly can? Is because I think in the future, they're going to be worth more. So recessions might not be fun, but if anything, they're really great buying opportunities. And I know that's like a different mentality to work on, but it's something that you have to do because over the, your entire investing career, there is going to be plenty of recessions, plenty of down periods of time, and you need to set up your investments in a way that you can stick with them through these periods of time. All right. So that's the answer to the first question. Second question is, is there a framework for determining the appropriate percentage of savings investments to include in tax advantage slash less, less liquid accounts versus the brokerage savings accounts, et cetera? I don't think that there's like a perfect answer to the percentages. I think you want to view it more in kind of like the hierarchy of how you invest those dollars. So I think first you have to think of goals. So if in the next couple of years you're saving for down payment of a house or you're saving to travel or anything that you need to save in cash for, you need to figure out how much is that going to take, save for that monthly and handle that first because goals always take priority. Then after that, the order of priority in my mind for accounts is you, you do your 401k to the match. Um, if you're in a really high income bracket, a lot of times it makes sense to be in um, pre-tax. If you're in a low tax to mid-tax bracket, Roth makes a lot of sense just because you're probably going to make more money in the future and tax rates will probably go up. Almost everybody agrees on that. So you want to start with your 401k to the match. Then you want to do, I mean, some people argue HSA first. Some people argue Roth or backdoor Roth. I think both of them are great, powerful accounts. Your preferences to one versus the other uh, it doesn't matter that much. I think doing both of them is a, a good idea for the average person. And then after that, I like to go to a taxable account before I go back to my 401k and max it out, unless I'm in a super high tax bracket and I don't need much flexibility. But I think that taxable account provides a lot of flexibility. You can use that money between now and when you retire. You have favorable long-term capital gains rates when you hold for over a year. So I wouldn't say there's like a correct percentage. I would assume for the average person, most of their percentage of investments is probably going to be in tax-free or tax-deferred accounts because you most times do want to take advantage of that first. But I think some people get too heavy on there and then they have 100% of their assets minus their emergency fund in tax-deferred accounts, which doesn't give you a lot of flexibility to start a business, pursue a job that might pay you less for a certain period of time as you maybe build it up, or maybe you have a bunch of equity at a tech firm, different things like that. So I would say here, like almost more so focus on the order of priority, but if you need a lot of money for flexibility because you think you might return retire really early, or you might just be pursuing a sabbatical or different things throughout your working career, then increasing those taxable investment dollars um, become really important. Okay. Next question is um, me and my spouse or me and my boyfriend slash girlfriend are about to get married in a year and we view our finances separately. We're trying to build up emergency fund dollars and we don't know, should we view our emergency fund combined or separate? So this is something that comes uh, that happens a lot, honestly, with me. I'll have a couple who they're engaged, they're not going to get married for a year. They think of their finances entirely separate. They're planning for a wedding. Maybe they're trying to invest and get dollars for retirement. They also want to buy rental properties. But if we look at a three to six month emergency fund for each of them, 
it's a lot higher than it would be combined. And so for a lot of those people, I don't think there's a right answer. I mean, it could be good to build that combined emergency fund for a short period of time and then know that as soon as you guys get married, that your emergency fund probably doesn't need to be as high when you have combined finances and lower expenses with living together and all of those different things. Um, so the safe route is to have the separate ones at the full three to six months of what you want. The short-term riskier route is to just figure out what you're going to combine need. But a lot of times I'd probably lean on that side. Otherwise you're just sitting on way too much cash, especially in an environment with high inflation. But either way, I think that you're thinking about this correctly and trying to make sure that you have the proper amount of dollars. Um, I never try to convince anybody to have less. Like I, I try to over time, help them understand the value of you know, how much they're losing in dollars if just letting it sit in a bank account. But again, finances are about you. They're about making you feel the right way, make you feel secure. And so if you're somebody that's, you know, low risk, maybe you came from an environment where your parents never able to save money and they were in debt all the time, then maybe you do need a lot higher of an emergency fund. And so for you, that makes the right choice. For me, I don't really want to hold on to a lot of money um, emergency wise. Uh, I basically do the three months knowing that I rent and I have a newer car. And so my likelihood of an expense is pretty low, but also because I own my own business and I'm not going to lose my job and I don't have too much of my income relying on any single client where I would, wouldn't be okay if I lost, you know, even a quarter of my clients. So a lower emergency fund makes sense for me. Um, but for these people, it might make sense to build up that combined three to six months each, or it might say, let's, let's forecast our future expenses and figure out what that three to six month of expenses looks like for them. There's just no real right answer. And then the last one is how do I make decisions in personal finance if I'm not supposed to just pick the most optimal route? I love this question because it's something I preach all the time. I think, you know, the average financial influencer or people who have never worked with clients just assume that everybody should be able to make the best decision for themselves based on what is the most optimal. So follow those the hierarchy of importance between 401k, HSA, blah, blah, blah. Um, only have three to six months of emergency fund, have X number of insurances, invest in the most optimal way. But what we know is that there is no optimal way. Like the way that we grew up, you know, I just talked about this before of the, you know, the person that they're going to have a higher emergency fund because they watch their parents struggle or the person who is going to pay off their two and a half percent mortgage because when they were a kid, they were evicted and they never want to go through that again. So the way that you want to make financial decisions is through the lens of your own experiences. So look back in your past, like, how do you feel about money? What worries you about money? What does money provide for you? Is it security? Is it freedom? Is it options? Think about all of those types of things. And then when you make each decision, look at it through the lens of how how you view money and what's going to make you feel the best. And I, I want to, with one caveat, don't just spend every dollar you have because it gives you a serotonin boost and makes it feel good. It's more so about like, Hey, maybe I'm going to take less risk with my investments, but save more because I can't stomach vol volatility very well. And that would make me not be able to sleep at night or have a higher emergency fund because you're worried about, you know, what happens if we can't afford X, Y, and Z because I went through that as a parent or pay off your low interest mortgage, even though it's less optimal because that will make you feel more secure knowing you're always going to have a home. So I don't think there's really like a perfect answer here, but you really do have to 
take the information that you learn with a grain of salt and think of it of, is that going to make me feel better or worse? You know, there are a lot of people who say investing in Bitcoin and crypto and all these other things are, you know, an asymmetrical bet and they can help you retire faster. And maybe that's true, but if you don't understand it and it, it's going to be really hard to watch that volatility, you're going to be anxious every night. Well, that's not a good route for you. And, you know, another good example is rental properties. Like rental properties can be an awesome way to build wealth. If that sounds like a headache to you, something you don't want to take care of and you'd rather be more passive, then you can choose to just invest in REITs or a different opportunity that might get you less of a rate of return, but it might be more optimal for your life and something that you enjoy. So always try to think that way when you're making financial decisions. Um, those are the four questions that I wanted to make sure that we got, went over today and the ones that got submitted to me. So thank you everyone for submitting your questions. I hope you guys found this one helpful. I'm interested to get some feedback. And again, if you like this, please rate, subscribe and share with others. And I will see you guys back next week.